0: It is Mads. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about our current fixations and mental health and business with my sister IRL
1: Scout. Hi Mads. Thank you for introducing me and introducing us and all of the things. It's wonderful to see you via Zoom, albeit, but wonderful to see
0: you. You're definitely in a, you're in a cozy mood today. That's for sure. I'm so glad you noticed. I was really making it apparent that I'm in a, you know how on TikTok they say silly, goofy mood? I'm in a cozy, cuddly mood, okay? I'm fresh off of reading one of my favorite romance novels to date. It was called The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. Just everyone, you know, it's about, actually your husband would enjoy this. It's about uh, two scientists that bone in the lab
1: Oh, that is a uh, potential fantasy that will never come true for him because I am nowhere near a scientist. We could bone in the lab maybe at one point, not his current lab. It
0: could be cosplay. You can just pretend to be a, a grad student. Actually, he's a Ph.D. student. In this scenario, it's, she was the Ph.D. student. He was the professor. But you know what? We could just it's a fantasy all around. Can I
1: be the professor?
0: Sure. Honestly, that actually fits, that fits better for you. You're such
1: a professor. You know what I mean? I like come in and I just, you know, start spewing polypeptides, DNA, <laughs> microbiome, <laughs> DNA, cells, <laughs> neutrons.
0: <laughs> Listen to my lecture. Oh God. oi, But yes, I'm in a very cozy, cuddly mood and I am just one step away from a full blown Gilmore Girls binge rerun session. When fall comes around, everyone knows it's Gilmore Girls season.
1: You know what? I I still have not jumped on the Gilmore Girls train. I think I I don't even think I've seen a full episode to be honest. Because hot take: the main character, the way she speaks and her voice really bothers me. Alexis Bledel or the other one, Lauren Graham. Alexis Bledel. It it. There's just something about. I would agree. It just bothers me. I don't think I could, I don't think I could watch, but their relationship seems so cool. It's kind of, I mean, maybe it romanticizes single mom, daughter vibes a little bit too much because I don't think it's exactly the reality, but
0: I can understand why it's your fall show. Oh yeah. If the fall foliage is on point in that show
1: amazing well sisters before we get into our current fixations which mine is very good this week I must say we want to let you sisters know that we are working with Spotify and their new app which is green room to bring you a live show every single Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can follow us on green room and come join us we talk about our hot takes live if you're there we'll invite you on stage we'll get your hot take because our hot take episode a couple couple episodes ago if you haven't listened to it highly recommend going back You guys loved that one and were high participants in that one. So we are now doing a whole live show, Thursdays, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time,
0: on Spotify's new app called Green Room. We just did our first one and it was so funny. We talked about basically everything from Halloween being garbage holiday, which we already discussed in the last episode, and then also we talked all about Kim K and her SNL hosting gig. Mm -hmm. And we won't spoil it, but just kidding, you're not you know, it, we already did it. We said that our hot take was she was the best host of SNL of all time.
1: And then my hot take was that she was the best dressed at the Met Gala.
0: Yeah. That one I didn't agree fully with, but okay. Yeah. It Just sisters. We, we go all over the place as you know, yeah. you know, so it was such a fun, delightful catch up. And then people were kind of, you know, writing in the little chat of their hot takes and it was great. Okay, let's get into current fixations. I want to go first because you said that yours is really good, and so we could save it for last. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a
1: lot of pressure. Maybe mine's not as good as uh, as I thought yeah. it was. Okay, go.
0: All right, so. We chatted a little bit about my Nashville trip on the Green Room (laughs) live weekly podcast, but I just wanted to recount it. I'm still recovering from just watching it. I'm
1: still recovering from just watching Watching the the stories.
0: stories. I posted a vlog on my YouTube channel of the Nashville trip, and I got a hangover as I was watching it. Like, it is just... Basically, this is what will go into my current fixation. But basically, I went on this bachelorette party. Don't say country music. No, just... Come? Yo, tit is. I went on a bachelorette party, son's marriage. Every time we went somewhere, they were like, What are you celebrating? And I was like, friendship. That's it because everyone either goes there, you know, for like a birthday or a bachelorette party. So we were just like friendship, just us being friends is what we're celebrating and going insane. So, it was a delightful trip. As I mentioned in, in the vlog, we did such a good combination of like touristy things and then also, you know, hit up some trendier, more hipster spots, which I can't go to a city without going to a natural wine bar. Duh. So, we kind of I slid some of those in there cuz I planned the whole trip. So, it was a delightful trip. I mean, we it took everything out of us. We were destroyed by the end. I think today is the first day I don't feel hungover. It was a full week recovery, I would say. But what I wanted to say is my current fixation, which I'm sure this has been a conversation of ours in the past, is the Gia New Ginger Spritz. So they sent me their new... This is so timely because they
1: sent... Obviously, they sent me the ginger beer as well, but I saw yes. you drinking it a couple weeks ago. So mine got lost in the mail. So mine just came last night and I had... Me and Adam had
0: one. Incredible. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So... If you don't know about Gia, they're a non-alcoholic aperitif. We've had the founder, Melanie Mazarin, on the podcast before. You should definitely listen to that episode. She is like a Parisian queen. And, you know, I I like uh, my alcohol. Uh, I mean, as we saw from this past weekend. So they sent us the ginger beer spritz. And, you know, as we had done talked with her it's a very much of a transitional drink you know we're still working remote we're still working from home and usually not every day but some days I will have like a glass of wine to transition into the evening and it kind of marks the end of my day and every day this week because I alcohol is I just there was too much consumed this weekend so I was like mads let's let's tone it down on the alcohol consumption this week so I grabbed a guia every single night and it was the perfect because it tastes like you're drinking alcohol, basically. So it kind of like tricks your brain into thinking that you're having this like luxurious drink, but then you don't have obviously any hangover or you don't feel like shit. And it's delicious. Yeah, so we're a big, not a big, but since my husband's sober,
1: whenever we have a party or whatever, we always buy him ginger beer. And the problem with the ginger beer on the market is that it is so fucking loaded with sugar. It's a joke. And if it doesn't have sugar, it doesn't taste good. So... I've never been such a fan, but it also really kind of marks that need of the ritual, the whatever it is, you know, that we drink alcohol for. And this one only has eight grams of sugar and it tastes phenomenal. I had the exact same thought yesterday. I said, I want to transition my day, but I don't want to drink alcohol right now. And thank God, you know, it came to my doorstep yesterday. So I, they did fucking hats off to you, Gia. I mean, the ginger beer is phenomenal. I'm going to be ordering cans on cans on cans.
0: I'm going to, yeah. So that's going to be a consistent subscription purchase for me, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, so my current fixation, which, to be honest, yours is much better than mine. Oh. I am watching Modern Family for the first time. It is now my go-to show, and I realized that I really need a show like that, like Parks and Rec, A Modern Family, The Office, kind of a sitcom, quote-unquote, that just has enormous amounts of episodes where you don't necessarily have to pay so close attention to know what's going on. It's kind of like my, I watch an hour a day after work kind of vibe. And I never, I never really understood Modern Family. I didn't really know anyone who watched it actually. And then our mom and stepdad started watching it and I was over at their house. And so I watched an episode and there's just something about, I think in general sitcoms that, are around a family that just make you feel so good. Obviously, Modern Family is fucking hilarious, but I don't know what it is. I just get, sometimes I cry at the end of episodes because it kind of ends with a lesson that they find out about themselves and their family. The cast is phenomenal. Phil Dunphy, I love with all of my heart. Sofia Vera, I don't know how to say last name, is absolutely Vergara. (laughs) I I don't know her last name. Sophia, Sophia Vergara. Sophia, F. what is it? No, it's a V. Oh, it's a Sophia V. Sophia Vergara. Vergara. <laughs> I don't. I don't know her last name. She's just. Oh I want her around me, or maybe not, because I think I'd get a headache. But for the most part, I would like her
0: around. You guys me. have similar bodies. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. That was a really big compliment. I was expecting you to be more, oh, like accepting of the compliment. Oh, I thought you were just stating a fact. Oh, <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for comparing my voluptuous womanly body to Sophia Vera Gara's. And no, okay, just continue. Okay. Um. Wow. Yeah. I. Yeah, that is a very big compliment. I've really been feeling my body this week, so I
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, we saw the we saw the Instagram story.
1: Well, I think it's important when a woman feels The curves of her body and the way that it kind of moves around versus the absence, I think it's a really big deal, or at least for me in my personal body
0: image journey. It's great.
1: Love it. So anyways, Modern Family is my current fixation. I'm on season
0: three. Wow, that's a lot for you. I know. They're short episodes. They're short
1: episodes, but there's like fucking 20 per season.
0: Yeah. I guess I'll take this time to update everyone on my Grey's Anatomy journey. Uh, I'm on season 16. I'm on season motherfucking 16. Okay, everyone. And there are only 17 seasons right now Is they're currently doing 18. And I just can't believe I've been on this journey. Thank you to everyone who has supported me. Not you, Scout. You have not supported me one bit. No, in fact, I question this goal of yours. Yeah, but honestly, people said that it gets really bad after, I think, season 11 was when... Spoiler alert! (laughs) When Derek dies. Oh, more more people dying. That's what shows
1: do. You know, remember the OC when Marissa just died? Died out of nowhere. Dude, everyone
0: dies in shows.
1: Not that we watched the OC, but just I remember that day
0: very specifically. Well, I did. I watched it, like, in college. Like, I watched it after the fact. Anyways, yeah. So everyone said that after season 11, it's like, just stop watching. Just, you know, surrender where you are. And I think it's still great. I think it's still a great show. I'm having a ball. I honestly, I love it. I love every minute of it. It's fabulous. And uh, I will be very sad when I've caught up. That'll be so, because it's just my show that I just like, It just, I constantly have something to watch. That's kind of like Modern Family for you. Like there's just something that you could always watch. And when I'm done with it, I really don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be very tricky for me.
1: Who would Maddie Mayo be without watching a show to completion, no matter how shitty it got?
0: I have to, I have to watch it to the end. Actually, no, that's not entirely true. Modern Family, I didn't finish. Like some of them just really got bad, but I don't think, I really don't think Grey's Anatomy is that bad. I I feel so on this journey with them. I I am connected. I'm here. I, I'm i living the Grey's Anatomy lifestyle, you know, saying medical terms and pretending like I'm a that's who i am now so that's gonna be me pretending like i'm a science professor yeah that's the cosplay is me pretending to be a surgeon (laughs) incredible oh my god can you imagine like the person on the table is like the lover and you're like let me cut into you You know what we can get creepy real
1: fast with scenarios like that so maybe spooky season spooky season Okay, we're going to end that conversation real fast over here. Let's get into this episode. Although, real quick, I think that we should do a TV roundup episode soon, since we haven't done that in a little bit. I feel like we should do that, because we're both watching Only Murders in the Building, which... I thought I was at the finale with no fucking basis for that. I just assumed, just assumed that this was... Oh,
0: my God. I yeah, you were like, I'm watching the finale. I'm like, wait, did it come out? And you're like, yeah, I'm watching it. I was like, I don't think you're watching. The best part was that Scout... I call this Scout's TV watching moods. She'll FaceTime me every time she's watching TV and she gets in these moods. And I really wish I could... Vi- it's like it's like we switch bodies. I'm always like very calm in these conversations. And then you are like definition of silly goofy mood and you're like the only murders they're here they're in kensington they're in my sub they're around me all the murders i was like oh my god i was like i have got to go like i have things to do
1: and you are just okay sisters she's saying that she has things to do and then I just stare at her like hang up like hang up and she wouldn't hang up so as much as she says that's
0: rude as much as she says
1: you're crazy and I need to go she didn't hang up for like 10 minutes I gave her multiple opportunities to hit the end button
0: I didn't want to hurt your feelings, and you were very spooked after the last, what you thought was the (laughs) finale of Only Murders in the (laughs) Building, and you were spooked that there would be a murder in your neighborhood, and you were like, the murders? There's only murders? I was like, oh my god. And then I was like, if
1: I get murdered, will you pivot, okay, sis, into a murder show about me? (laughs) To be a... (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah! (laughs) Okay, 100%. Guys, you heard it here first. If Scout gets only murdered in Kensington... What does only murdered mean? What does that
1: mean, only murder in the building?
0: Did you not watch the show? (laughs) I don't get what that... In the beginning, they were saying, let's do a murder podcast. It's going to be called, like, murders, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 let's only investigate only murders in the building. And then he was like, Martin Short's like, that's the best name for the podcast. Oh, you really didn't watch the show. Maybe you skipped an episode or two. Well, no,
1: no, I didn't. I
0: didn't. Wouldn't it be the first time. Wouldn't be the first
1: time. Okay. Let's get into this episode. I'm excited sisters because I'm the, uh, the curator. I'm the, what's it called? When you moderator, I'm the moderator for
0: moderate. I know I was like, can I have the questions beforehand? And then you were like, no, I'm going to be your worst nightmare and not let you prepare. Yeah, so usually Mads does all the preparation and all this kind
1: of stuff, but I came up with this episode. I thought it would be really great since Mads has been full-time on Camber for a couple months now. I just went through a growth spread at Scouts Agency, and we talk a lot about entrepreneurship, and we talk to a lot of female entrepreneurs, but I thought it would be fun to get questions from you guys, the sisterhood, asking us anything about entrepreneurial journeys, starting a podcast, navigating, or juggling full-time work with your side hustle, all the things. And we got some really good questions. I hope we can get through maybe all of them, but it's going to be a little difficult, but these are incredible. So I am going to just kickstart us. Mads has no idea what questions these are. I feel like some are more, you know, prone for Mads to answer and I think some are more directed at me. So we will see how it goes. But are you ready, Mads?
0: I As ready as I'll ever be. I'm a little uncomfortable, but we're sitting in the discomfort. We're ready. Okay. Amazing. This one I think that you could really speak to first. What is the best way to
1: juggle a full-time job and a business?
0: Okay. So, for about 2 years I was working full-time in my other job and doing camber on the side. Something that was really unique and okay says And okay says, yeah. So, something that was really unique to our situation was we had to build the product before we could you know, market it or launch it, which I guess is typical with like consumer products and things like that. But we had to develop an app. So a lot of it was behind the scenes. And Lauren and I are not technical co-founders. So we actually hired an agency to do that work for us. So a lot of things were happening behind the scenes. So I feel very fortunate that in those two years it was more so just us testing, QAing, doing product and having meetings with our UI UX team, as well as the developers to get the process moving. And then it was a lot of prioritization and then prepping for when we were going to launch and at least do the beta launch and give it to our friends and family. So for the two years, a lot of it was a couple hours a week, basically with the meetings and the testing. And then Lauren and I, every single weekend would meet on Saturdays and do like content or do, you know, strategy stuff or just kind of talk about what what the next steps are. So that happened for two years. And then finally, when The reason I took the leap to do it full-time was because the app was ready. The app was ready to finally be put in people's hands and we knew that someone needed to be full-time on it just in case there was you know a big eruption and then also you know if there's bugs and things like this and making sure that our community is well serviced. So that was when the transition happened but yeah juggling it you just got to manage when you are working on it and be very diligent about it. In the beginning, it's going to be very tricky. But if you can carve out maybe an hour in the morning or hour at night, and then obviously your weekends, you can spend a bit of time on it. But yeah, it'll be a slow build definitely in the beginning if you have a full-time job and a side hustle.
1: Yeah, for me, there was also a time where I was working on Scouts Agency, OKC's Podcast, and I had a full-time job at the same time. These answers, I think, between the two of us are going to be so different just because you come from more of like an investor-backed business, where I come from – a cash building upfront type of business. So for me to juggle at the time, I would do very similar things to you. I would work like an hour in the morning and an hour at night on the agency and then try to do as much as I could on the weekends. But once you start to juggle two jobs, let's say, let's like take OKSYS podcast out of the equation real quick. Once you start to juggle like your full-time job and your business, you get really good at not wasting time. Like You start to get really good at when you're at work, you're at work, because you need to finish your full-time job duties so that you can get to the side hustle, and you're so excited when you get to the side hustle. So for me, it was just really about delegating my time appropriately and not wasting time during the day, because wasting time during the day meant that I wasn't working on my side hustle or scout's agency at that point. So I would say get really, really clear on, one, where you have pockets of time, where you don't think you do, i.e., how long are you scrolling on Instagram? Are you wasting your morning routine? Can you wake up 20 minutes earlier to get some stuff done, etc.? And then two, get really focused on your full-time job to finish what you need to do every single day so that then you can go on and really work on your business. Okay, A Y S I S.
0: Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Okay, so this question, which I put
1: later in the list, but I feel like is a really great follow up question, is at what point do you quit your job and focus only on your business? Is this based on how much money you're making? So I love this question because Mads and I have different business models that rely on different types of revenue projections. So I can go first and then you can go, Mads. I quit my day job once Scouts Agency was bringing me in the same salary that I was making at my day job. So for me, that was really, really quick because I'm a service-based industry. I hire a client. They pay me a monthly retainer, write that in there. So I was bringing in cash to Scouts Agency week three, kind of thing and so every industry is so different on on that like okay says podcast didn't make a fucking dime for like a year and a half you know it just depends on the industry but for me that was the determining factor i saw that i was making as much money at scouts agency as i was on my full time job And if I could make the same amount of money during Scouts Agency part-time, it would give me more time to scale and really bring on more clients and then even increase my revenue even further and my payroll even further. So that is the metric I did. I waited until I was making the same amount at Scouts Agency as I was at my full-time job and then I quit my full-time job. Some people save up at their full-time job. They save up like six months, eight months, a year worth of payroll that they can pay themselves. And then they quit and give themselves a year to really push through. But definitely not quitting your day job until you have the funds, the resources, an investor backing you, cash flow, et cetera, that shows that you can support yourself.
0: Yeah. For me, as I mentioned, it was the fact that the app was ready. So we raised friends and family so that I could take on a salary. I did take a pretty significant pay cut, I will say. So be prepared for that. If that's something where you're going to have to take a pay cut, you're going to have to be realistic with your budget and your lifestyle. Those are really things to consider as as you move forward into that. But yeah, I took a very large pay cut and We raised friends and family so that I could do it full time. And then we have a budget for hiring an internal software engineer as well as a marketing budget. So that was kind of how we raised the money was like, it's going to get us to this next stage where we can fully launch into the app store round out our team and really up level the business. So yeah, for us, it was like that was the push we needed to really jump into this full time for me and get it to where it needs to go.
1: Yeah. But bottom line, the money has to be there some way or another. Yeah. You can take a pay cut. You can make sacrifices. You can use your savings, investors, current cash flow, etc. But definitely don't quit your your full time job unless you have some sort of financial income coming in. Which, you know, always takes risk no matter what. No matter if you think you have the money or you don't. Always takes a risk to jump in full time. It's the scariest and the fucking best day of your life. How was that day for you, Mads?
0: Oh my God. When you
1: realized that you were like quitting your job or like the first day you woke up and working on camera full time?
0: It was a delight. Like it was, and it was so funny because the first week, I couldn't even believe that I wasn't doing it full time. Like I did so much or like I was working So much that I was like, wait, what, how did this even function before we were doing it full time? So I don't know. It just, it was, yeah, it was definitely surreal. It was amazing. But I mean, I don't know if there's a question about this, but something that I've been thinking about a lot is there's no other place I'd rather be. There's no other work environment or situation I'd rather be in. Yet, and I think you talk about this a lot in your book, The Emotional Entrepreneur is that being a founder and having a startup is fucking hard and it's really really stressful to me like I've been confusing it a little bit in my mind where I'm like oh my god I'm not loving every moment of this like oh my god does that mean that I like don't want to do this like things like that where if there's a stressful moment if there's a challenge it throws me off my like oh my God, I'm an entrepreneur. Cause it's, there's this glamorization of it, of course. And obviously that first day and that first week were so amazing. And now that I'm kind of two months into it, there are obviously days where I'm like, this is really hard. This is hard for me to get motivated. This is hard for me to continue on course. And then I shame myself cause I'm like, wait, but you're living the dream. Like you shouldn't have any of these thoughts. Do you ever feel like that? Okay. So
1: first of all, my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur, is really geared toward the situation. And I say it all the time. I say it on my podcast, Scout Podcast, all the time, that just because you are living your purpose and your dream does not mean that challenging moments won't arise. In fact, if you are living your purpose and your dream, you will be triggered and challenged more often and in bigger ways that force you to Develop a bigger emotional maturity, develop bigger tools, think about your self worth, all of the stuff. It will existentially, personal development wise, totally throw you for a loop. So when you go out there and live your dream, live your purpose, quit your day job, do the business, whatever, move to Hollywood to become an actress, it's the most fulfilling route and it's harder. It's harder than the other route. So I always like to be very transparent that what I do on a day to day basis, emotionally takes it out of me so much more than when I was just working a day job, right? But it's the most fulfilling thing. And I can't say this with complete confidence because I'm not a mother per se, but I find that the language talked about entrepreneurship and becoming a mother are very similar, right? Things like, it's really hard, buckle up, but it's worth it. It's going to change your life, but it's worth it. It's the most fulfilling thing ever. It feels... the narrative between the two, I'm not a mother, I can't say, you know, based off experience, but the narrative and how we talk about it seems the same. And the same way you said, I feel shame that I'm living my life. Like you always hear mothers say, I feel shame that this doesn't light me up every day or that I need some time away from my kid or whatever it is. And so I think that entrepreneurship in this exact sense, Mads, has taught me that a fulfilling life does not promise you an easy, happy life. A fulfilling life promises you that Challenges will get thrown into your face, and they're so challenging because they're all on you and they force you to grow up and get a hold of your mental health in ways that you've never thought were possible. So that's why I wrote my whole book. But yeah, it's you know, I often sometimes think to myself, I glorify entrepreneurship, we all do, and I only glorify it because it is the only path for me and it's my favorite path but I also try to be as honest as I can about, you know, this being fucking hard. Like 2 weeks ago, I had to step outside and walk around my block and I was just crying hysterically and you were facetiming me cuz you were in your nap dress looking like a yenta. My mind was so overwhelmed and in a flurry and I felt so unsafe that I literally had to scream outside as I walked around my neighborhood. Like that's entrepreneurship, and then getting back up, finding your power, and going at it anyways. And that's
0: how you get only murdered in Kensington. <laughs> that's how you get only murdered, running in around Kensington. your neighborhood, crying and screaming. Yeah, I have one more because I'm also an sis stand, so like I can submit questions, right? No,
1: what is um, your question?
0: What's your question? So something I've been thinking a lot about, and you've you've talked to me about this, also it's represented in your book is. Sometimes I feel like I'm a quote unquote failure at entrepreneurship because I don't hustle 24 hours a day or at least even 12 hours a day. Because the wives' tale goes, you know, everyone goes on how I built this and says, oh my God, the beginning, I was eating ramen noodles, I was staying, I was pulling all nighters every single day to get it up and da da da. And like all these things that I just don't feel like I do do. And I can't tell if it's I mean, it's definitely that I have a privilege of, you know, not having to hustle maybe to like make, you know, you have to hustle to like make a revenue goal at the end of every month. Like I don't have that type of pressure, but I have pressure of like investors and those types of things. So it's a different type of pressure. So I've just been having this existential kind of guilt again, the guilt and the shame, uh, which, you know, it's a common theme in my life seems like, but you know when I'm not working or I stop working at 6 or something or I don't start working till whatever time like it is amazing I I kind of go back and forth cuz I'm like you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I get to make my hours. I get to work whenever I want. I'm the only person kind of working on this full time. So it's like I can craft my days and I have that luxury. But then I get guilty that I'm like, wait, I'm not working from nine to six perfect time. And I'm not, you know, some days are not as productive as others. Or it's just this, I think there's just this narrative that as an entrepreneur, you need to look a certain way and be hustling and grinding and eating ramen and sacrificing everything. But I don't feel like that and I feel guilty about that. That's what I'm gonna say.
1: Okay, so there's two things, and I'm just gonna, you know, how I talk about business. I don't really sugarcoat things at times and I can sound like a bitch. One, Camber, at this point, you have no urgency with the responsibility of a team of meeting certain goals of getting it to market by a certain date of managing 10 people of investors coming in of overflow users like you are so in the beginning where right now it's just the fun creative stuff like there's no reason for you to work 12 hours a day on something I don't think that you necessarily have to do stuff like that to be a successful entrepreneur. I think that there are seasons where that happens. I think that businesses where you start having to make certain revenue projections every month, Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't necessarily believe in debunking that narrative because there are times when that is literally what it takes and it's not like well, my mental health is on the line. It's, I have 10 people on payroll on the line. And so this is what I have to do to make it work. This is what I have to do to make it grow. And so I don't want to give a fairy tale perspective, like, you know, eating the ramen and working 12 hours a day. is like, yeah, that's not sustainable and not healthy. And most of the times not completely necessary. It's become like a badge of honor that people wear. And there will be times when that is true. And it has to be true because it's not just you sitting there at your home. It's people with salaries on the line. It's investors knocking down your door asking why your numbers aren't what they are. And so... It's in those go times, pressure point moments that you have the 12 hour days. You go until you're exhausted. You do sacrifice your personal life. You know, I did that this year and it wasn't, you know, with my book launch and growing and scaling and I had a big pressure to bring in a certain amount of revenue and my pressures are so small compared to someone who's running a multi, multi-million dollar product-based business, right? So when people say things like that, like, yes, I understand that that shouldn't be the norm. And yes, I totally get that we shouldn't be perpetrating that and people shouldn't feel as if they have to do that. And it's okay. And just a part of the reality at some point on your entrepreneurial journey, where you will have to sacrifice things in your life as the boss to make an entire organization hit revenue goals and run and teams and employees, it gets more hectic and more responsibility and more pressure every time you grow. So I would say that there's no reason for you to feel bad about that because that's not the stage that your business is in. Our businesses go in stages, but that narrative, unfortunately, like I think that saying that type of hustling isn't healthy. I think that's not healthy because there is just a reality part to running a business with a lot of employees and a product, et cetera, that there are moments
0: where you have to do that. Yeah. So then my question becomes how do you fully enjoy the lulls, if you will? Like, how do you completely surrender and feel ease and and whatever? And I, I kind of dealt with this also in school, right? There's like, you know, you're not doing anything for like two months and then you have finals and it's like crazy, you know? It's like, but I felt like I did kind of enjoy the downtime, if you will. And I'm not trying to say that right now in with camber, it's a downtime, but but it isn't the 12 hours. It isn't the ramen, whatever. So yeah, how do you just kind of be like, this is okay. Because I feel a guilt almost.
1: Okay. So what you're feeling, which I am not equipped to give you coaching or an explanation or support on this just because it's not – It's not a societal pressure that I feel, but I've been told that the hustle culture in this country creates that feeling that if you're not doing enough, if you're not hustling, if you're not struggling, then you're doing something wrong. And so that's not something I've ever felt. I take easy weeks with grace and gratitude and I'm good, man. Like if I don't work that much one week, I'm fine. I don't feel this worthiness or guilt or, you know, that doesn't come up for me. And so I would think, I could be totally wrong. Sisters, DM me if this is not, if I'm not on point here. I guess it's more of a you feeling worthy in what you're doing and what you're producing and you feeling worthy in the exact stage that you're at because you know, other stages will come. I don't think that what you're doing is any sort of wrong by any means. I think it's absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's on time. It's exactly what you need to be doing. And another stage will come and then you'll do that and that will be on time and perfect and you'll learn through that one and then another season will come. So yeah, I just don't struggle with that. So
0: it's hard for me to help. I know you don't struggle with it. It's so annoying because that is all I struggle with. (laughs) It's like how you don't struggle with people pleasing
1: and texting our parents back and showing up for family. Like uh, you don't you are so good with that, and I'm so fucking shitty with like
0: that. showing up for family, you're so mean.
1: oh, ok. Who didn't show up to that family, you know? ok. It was
0: a random birthday. No, sorry. It wasn't even a birthday. No, it wasn't. It was our grandparents' anniversary. Since when have we ever gathered for our grandparents' anniversary? I'm not going to schlep down to San Diego for one night. I come for every Thanksgiving. I come for everything. I come for this. I don't need to come for an
1: anniversary. It was their 60th anniversary. 60th. Okay. I came for the birthday. I came for his birthday. I came for enough. Anyways, I'm just saying it's interesting to see how the things I struggle with, you don't struggle with. And I get to learn from you from that. Like I try to embody you a lot more with stuff like that and then vice versa, you know? Okay. Next question. Oh, good. Thank you for derailing my moderation. Okay. Where should we go here? Oh, this will be good. How do you figure out what type of entrepreneurship venture is for you. Tips for women who want to build a business but are not sure what type of business that
0: might be. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Struggled with this for about five years post-grad. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know what the idea would be. And I think I struggled a lot with not understanding a purpose or not understanding a passion, not knowing that it was that I even had any type of like Purpose and idea, if that if that makes sense. And I remember talking with my best friend Brett, you know, BFF Brett. She's been on the pod. Both of us, right after college, would always g chat during during work and be like, "We want to be doing our own thing. We want to, you know, have something that to call our own and to you know create." And it really took a lot of me surrendering that the moment would come to me and I know that's so annoying to hear and honestly I didn't want to hear it like I was like no I want to figure it out now you know you can do things where you can go on brainstorms and try to just kind of you know dwindle down what what type of things interest you and then and see what type of company or service you want to go into but for me I kind of let it come to me I did a lot of consuming I think in my early 20s I listened to so many podcasts, entrepreneurship podcasts, and business podcasts, read so many books. And it kind of overwhelmed me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Cause I was just like, well, wait, like, I still don't know, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to like absorb as much as I can. And honestly, it came from a place I d- had no idea was going to come. It was me and my co-founder Lauren, staying in touch over years. She was my first boss and my first job. We stayed in touch. We kind of both always said that we wanted to do something together. And then she asked me for her, my Austin Rex, and it just like something sparked. And I was like, "Why isn't there an app for this? this is so annoying." And she, you know, she would always ask for my Rex, and it was it was like the one time a year we would talk, or not one time a year, but several times a year we would talk and catch up. And I was like, "This needs to be." a touch point on a separate app or a separate place. So that's really where it came from. Obviously, so fortunate to have found her and realized that we were in such a great working relationship. I 100% would not have been able to do this without her, literally 100%. I know Scout is against co-founders or not again against co-founders for her. But what I would say is if you do find something that you really love and that you're you trying to figure out, I would find someone to partner up with to kind of do it together and, and be in the trenches together, whether that's a technical person, if you're developing an app, whether it's someone who who understands supply chain, if you're making a product and then you're the marketing person, like there are so many platforms out there for people who are looking for co-founders and trying to like match up together. So just kind of finding support in that way. And then, yeah, like just observing, like looking around, what are you interested in? What do you find yourself doing when no one's looking? That was something else. It's like, what do you do when no one's looking? I always love to ask myself that because that's kind of when I understand like what I'm passionate about is when I like don't feel compelled to share it or don't feel, you know, this pressure. So yeah, that's what I would say.
1: Yeah. Your story is such a beautiful example of divine timing. Truly, truly. Like it's so matched up so perfectly with Camber and I knew you were struggling for so many years trying to find what it was, but like this couldn't have happened to you three years ago, you know, it had, or four years ago, five years, like it had to happen in this exact moment. So Definitely trusting the timing of your life. I always like to say, you know, people see me today, Scouts Agency, OK, it's this podcast, my book. But how many things did I do before Scouts Agency Mads? Like, so many. A million bajillion. For me, it was not putting so much emphasis on or pressure on, I have to come up with the right idea and the right business that's my exact purpose and passion and strengths, etc. But rather just allow yourself to do the things that feel good, start shit. And see how it feels. You don't have to keep doing stuff that doesn't work for you. Like, I one time started a social media agency. That didn't feel good. I think I did that for two and a half months. I started a blog. You know, I did so many things. And so I think one, allowing timing to just really do its thing and being curious and reading about other things and et cetera. And then two, just do stuff like you don't have to, you know, you can make a website, see how that feels for a business idea. See if you get excited by coming up with a copy and the branding and the services or the product base. You know, I think there's something to be said with just getting your hands dirty and trying different things and not placing so much emphasis on the one idea, because if you play around and start doing things, the one idea will be there and it'll take off. 100%. Okay, this is a good one. Does any of the money go to yourself or should all
0: money made go back into the business? Uh, I guess this is more for you. I mean, yeah, for us, like the only really overhead is the app upkeep and that is basically salary because that's just a person, you know, we don't have inventory, we don't have, you know, but we're going to be spending a lot more on like marketing and things than, than my salary or, or, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe this is more of a question for you because we haven't started making revenue yet, basically.
1: Yeah. So this is a question that is highly, as Mads just you know showed, highly specific to what your business is, what your business model is, what you're offering, et cetera. I think I believe that one should pay oneself as the founder and the owner and the CEO and the entrepreneur, et cetera, And I think that there's a lot of room to reinvest in your business, you know? Sometimes I think to myself, do I want to pay myself a certain amount so I can do this? Or do I want to pay myself a certain amount and then put the rest back into the business to grow it even further? So I think when you're asking yourself, like, how much money should I make and how much should I put back into the business? It's just a matter of a long-term strategy and what your real goals are if that makes sense. So if you're in the very, very beginning and let's say you're making $2,000 a month off your business, it's probably wise to put that $2,000 back into the business so that you can make $5,000, $10,000, et cetera. So again, this is a really specific question for very specific businesses, but I do believe that you make a business so you can make money. And I believe that reinvesting in your business will promote that goal on a long-term scale, even bigger than just a couple grand a month in the beginning, right? So getting really clear you don't also don't want to suffocate your business and put yourself in a bad place if you're paying yourself everything that you make and not allowing not feeding the business so that it can grow even more on automatic so you can get to the next level. So, I think the answer here is both. You know, I guess in the beginning usually the money goes back in pretty quickly depending on your industry and your business model, but I believe that yes, you should 100% make the money, and then you should also delegate a certain amount that you're reinvesting. Also, as you move forward, like expenses will come up, right? So you have monthly expenses, et cetera, but you know, marketing stuff that you want to invest in, my book launch that I invested in, et cetera. So it's a personal ratio, but I, my answer would be both pay yourself and put some money back into the business. Okay, also profit is such a fucking weird conversation to have and it's not a code I've cracked because a business can say they're profitable, right? So if you, like real quick, like let's just do basic math. If you pay yourself $5,000, let's say your business makes $10,000 a month. If you pay yourself $5,000, you can technically say my business is profitable, right? Because there's $5,000 left over every month. But you could pay yourself payroll ten thousand dollars, and then now your business isn't profitable. So it just depends on what you pay yourself and how you want to run your books and if you want to show up as a profitable business, et cetera. So that's a very
0: that's always kind of it's kind of like social media. It's like a, it's like an illusion, you know, it's it's an interesting metric. yeah, and it also varies. Some investors don't want to see that or some you know, it's like it's very interesting. But also, if you, let's just say, Pay yourself
1: on a payroll situation, $5,000, and then you profit $5,000 at the end of the month. You still take home that $5,000, but it's not considered your salary. It's considered an owner's draw or profits or they've got all these acronyms for it. So it's just the way that you want to show it and how you want to pay taxes, et cetera. So it gets a little confusing. But anyways, okay, this is a good one. How to tell your family and friends your dream without feeling embarrassed?
0: Huh. Um... Well, first of all, why are you embarrassed?
1: Well, I think you can talk a little bit about this, Mads, like your YouTube channel. If you felt fear for putting yourself out there, you know, telling people what you're doing, even with this podcast, I feel like, you know, there's definitely this fear of judgment.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I see what you're saying. When I put myself in like with YouTube and with like content creation, I think I've struggled a lot with... Yeah, being vulnerable on the internet, what that meant, you know, you're opening yourself up for judgment, for people's, you know, preconceived notions of you or whatever, And I still struggle with it a lot. You know, I I, sometimes every time I put out a YouTube video, I'm like, are people thinking I'm so weird that I'm 27 and like on YouTube? Or are people thinking that this is like... Also weird that you're 27. I know. So it's... I think it all the time. So I get what you're saying. I think it's weird because I don't want to say like seek out validation. But what has helped me is there are many... People who listen to this podcast, all of you listening, who reach out and kind of reinforce that this is a place that is safe for you, that you love, and that it's a content consumption that only positively impacts your life. And hearing those things kind of propels me forward a little bit. And I think with YouTube, I kind of got all the feedback of like, Mads, we love your energy. You're so silly, this. And like, then I said, Okay, why don't I make a YouTube channel where it's I kind of make fun like I'm very silly and I can kind of have that outlet and what have you so yeah that's kind of what has helped me but internally it's about worthiness right and we talk a lot about to be magnetic the Lacey Phillips manifestation work and there's tons of work that you know she puts out there around self-worth showing up as your highest self-worth and for me one of my core identities and values is is silliness and passion and also community and being a leader. So the, all those things are perfect for a podcast, are perfect for YouTube and content creation because it's entertainment. It's me being a leader and gathering a community, it's me being entertaining. Like those are parts of my just core identity. So I'm never going to be able to run away from them. So I've been able to channel them in this way. So I like to think of it that way where it's like, this is something that is just part of me and I shouldn't be apologetic for it. And this is me operating from a place of high self-worth. Yeah, hundred percent, but it's, it can be hard.
1: And I think that for me, I've started enough things to have my family roll their eyes at me. I think it's expecting that some people aren't going to understand what you're doing and they're not going to be supportive necessarily, but it's not necessarily out of judgment or non, not, they think they're being supportive by telling you not to do something because they're trying to keep you in a safe box in the linear path you were already taking in a predictable salary or whatever it might be. So whenever you come up with an idea, it doesn't matter how supportive of a family and friend system that you have you will be met with people who don't get it. You will be met with people who think you're crazy for doing that. You will be met with people who try to talk you out of it. And so if you can learn to expect that those conversations are going to be had, potentially by people that unfortunately might surprise you and might hurt a little bit, I think you can go into telling people, just being really, really clear on what you want for your life and making non-negotiable agreements with yourself that you are going to move forward regardless of maybe what someone else's opinion is because most likely that opinion is coming out of fear for you versus something strategic or helpful. So again, I write a whole chapter in my book about this, but it's, you're bound to get people who don't understand why you're doing what you're doing.
0: I would also say support looks different based on people in your life. Also, like your friends and family might not be your target demographic or audience, right? Like totally. None of my friends listen to okay Like <laughs> You know, and none of my friends really watch my YouTube channel, but it's just like, that's okay. Like I've just like accepted that as like, that's not meaning that they don't support me. It's just, it is what it is. They know me and they, you know, don't feel compelled to listen to a podcast where I'm talking every single, you know, week. But that's what I'm trying to say is that it, it support can kind of
1: vary. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a very good point. Yeah. My, my friends definitely don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> okay. Let's, Yeah, let's do one more because this one's really good. How do you get started and know exactly what to do? This is a question that I feel like comes up time and time again when we're talking about entrepreneurship and starting a business. And I think it's just first accepting and understanding the – the notion that if you haven't done this before, you don't know what to do and you will not know what to do moving forward. I remember Mads, we were driving in Los Angeles together and you were saying, well, I don't know how to do this and I don't know how to do that. And I said, okay, clean slate because from here on out, you're not going to know how to do anything because you've never built an app before. You've never built a company before the same way I've never built a service business agency before. You know, we've never done a podcast before. Okay, sis. So Really, the whole part of being an entrepreneur is literally not knowing what you're doing and figuring it out, anyways. So when I always say to get started, I get started in the simple things that you do know how to do, like starting an Instagram handle or buying a domain for a website or picking a font out. You know, really basic things that allow it to come out of your mind and into a physical reality, so that you can see it physically in front of you on your computer. I think that's the most important part, but. Really, in this question, the core accepting belief is that we all don't know what we're doing. Like, And even if you build a product-based business and then build another one, there's still gonna be things that you don't know what you're doing because it's a completely different product and business. So first, just be like, I don't know exactly what to do. And that's what makes this journey possible and magical. And then think about what's, as Matt says, what's the next best step? What's the next right step? You know, and just taking micro baby step actions.
0: Yeah. I always say distill the vision, the big, you know, end result, whatever it is. Distill it in as small bite-sized steps as you can. You know, I even do this like right now. We're prepping to launch in the app store. And I, I mean, I literally just like opened a Google Doc and just was like, these are the things that need to get done. Like brain dump, timeline, cost, and then you distill it even further. It's like, okay, influencer packages. Okay, get the box, get the postcard. Okay, wait, actually, we have to design the box before we got to design the postcard. Like, just really breaking down into like these nitty, nitty, nitty gritty micro steps, and then every day just doing one of them. Like that's. That's what it is. Yeah. Such good advice.
1: Google is the fucking – and even beyond Google, Mads is really good at this. Mads is so good at Google. I always sometimes forget that my – you know, Google exists. But Mads is always so good at Googling and distilling down those steps. That's like one of her strengths. And also we live in a world where there's so much free information via podcasts Like when else can we listen to a founder of a multimillion dollar business that went public talk about the exact first steps that she took in month one to six? I mean, it's all on the podcast app. So I would even get even more micro and and look up some keywords that you're trying to find out on YouTube. They have stuff like that. The information is endless, but... Also, at the same time, don't get caught up too much in the information and make sure you're making as said those steps and then taking action is the most important part. But trust yourself, girl. You got this. You know you got this. Trust
0: yourself.
1: If you're asking this question, you know you can do it. Yes. Okay, Wow, Wow. What an episode. These are my favorite conversations. You know, I just love sitting with you and talking about all the different things. We have such different perspectives. we have such different experiences. It's just nice to touch base on all this entrepreneurship.
0: TB at a uh, end of week EOW.
1: Oh. Okay, more acronyms. Anyways. Okay, sisters, we hope you enjoyed this episode. You know, we haven't asked you in a while, but if you feel so compelled, we would love a rating and review. It is the best free way to support OK Sis and this show. And we love you, sisters, so much. You know where to find us on Instagram. I'm at Scout Sobel. Mads is at Maddie Mayo. And of course, at OK Sis Podcast. OK, sisters, love you, sisters. Love you.